Good morning. I'd like to begin by, by expressing my thanks to you all. Uh, when my family and I started showing up around here in, in April, I was coming off a 23-year stint of what at least seemed to me like an endless cadence of two sermons, two uh, uh, Bible classes, and all of that wrapped around a, a busy work schedule. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was tired. And I was feeling pretty empty. And when we first started contemplating what our next step was going to be, I thought, there's really only one place that I want to be, and that's here. Fortunately, my family felt the same way for their own reasons. So here we are. And, and I just want you to know that, that this is exactly what we needed right now. I, I was really looking forward to sitting at the feet of Jacob, but I am so glad to be sitting at the feet of Brent because his, his energy is just exactly what I need right now. Um, the, the men and the comments that are made before the, the, the uh, communion, um, the prayers that are offered, the singing here is just so earnest. And it's such a joy to be able to participate with you in it. But you know what I love the most? I love the young folks that we have here and the earnestness that they seem to have. And even more, the really young folks and seeing the investment that their parents are making in the spiritual growth of these very young ones. For three hours on a Sunday morning, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what's, what it's like to take care of a young child for three hours. My wife does, because <laughs> she had to do it while I was preaching. But I know it takes a lot, and it just does my heart and my soul so much good to see all of the efforts that's going on here. And so thank you. Thank you so much. I remember when, uh, when I was the age of some of these young folks, and Kirk and, and John, I don't, I don't guess Mindy's here yet, but I think the three of us are probably the only ones that might remember this. But before Bible class, we had these cards that were filled out. And on those cards, it was like, you know, the number of students that got their Bible lessons, the number of students that had their Bibles. And then down there at the bottom, as I remember it anyway, was the number of daily Bible readers. And I don't know how many times I experienced it. Oh, let's see, Monday, two, ooh, did I read on thir uh, Thursday? No, I thought of Jesus wept, so <laughs> I'm good for Thursday. Okay. Yes, I was a daily Bible reader. But thinking, oh, reading my Bible every day. Bible reading can be a kind of a difficult thing to do, Right? I mean, after all, when, we, when we're looking at the Bible from sort of a superficial standpoint, we think, well, you know, that's, all, that's about a group of people that, that I don't really relate to. You know, they, they, they all had funny names, and they did strange things, and strange things happened to them, you know, and all of, this, all of these stories that are sort of, you know, found in the Bible... And it's so easy for us to have a very superficial understanding of what 
the story of the Bible is and the story of redemption that is so necessary not only in our lives but in the lives of the world. This morning I want to talk about, well I want to talk about the importance of Bible reading but I'm not going to call it Bible reading. Let's call it scripture reading. Doesn't that elevate the idea of it just a little bit? Because these are the scriptures that we're talking about. And and these are the words of life that have been given to us by God. The scriptures contain words of truth, instructions for living, a message of hope for a dying world, and the revelation of the mind of God. That's what we have when we have the scriptures. I want to talk about scripture reading also as an act of worship. And that, that may be kind of a, 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 an alien concept. And I'm going to come back around at the end and kind of share with you what I'm thinking about there. But I want to talk about scripture reading as an act of worship. And so whether it's in the public assembly or whether it's in our private devotions, Scripture reading can and should be an act of worship. So there are four points that I want to make this morning, and there are four passages that I want to focus your attention on, and when we have done that, I'll be done. First of all, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where the children of Israel have come through the 40 years, and you know, there's a, there's a real likelihood that the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy was given by Moses to the children of Israel in, in mostly a one setting. And so what we have in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 here is some of the information at the very beginning. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, we have the Ten Commandments sort of reiterated. But then we get to chapter 6, and this is what we read in verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So first of all, verse 4, this is what's typically referred to as the Shema or the Shema Israel. And and this is uh, what the rich young ruler basically reiterates to Jesus in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then again, we have these, these words in verses 6 and 7. You shall have these words on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Here's what's interesting about all of this, though. Very, very few people would have had a copy of these words at this time. We know that there was a copy that was kept with the tabernacle. We know that there was, that actually when the command was, commands were given regarding the kings... When Israel would have a king, the king was supposed to write out his own copy of the law and have that with him. But otherwise, there weren't that many copies of the law that were available. And so uh, they, you you couldn't just, you know, go down to Scrolls or Us or something like that and get your own copies of the Torah. But instead, they were commanded, for the most part, to memorize it. 
Um, again, there is this passage, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. We probably recognize from that what, um, what Jesus criticizes among the Pharisees uh, when he talks about them broadening the borders of their phylacteries. Well, these phylacteries are what we're reading about here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here are some images that show that these are still used today. This is a very literal impression upon uh, what Deuteronomy chapter 6 is talking about. But Orthodox Jews take this literally very seriously today. Um, then we have in verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That would be the mezuzah that is still seen in certain Jewish communities today. The point here of all of this and what's relevant to us is that God wants his word to be in the line of sight of his people. So how do we do that? The way that we do that is by reading scripture regularly. I don't know how many of you do have a habit of, uh, of daily scripture reading. Now, I'll tell you one of the things that I really appreciate about my association with this congregation are the daily devotionals that we get. And I think it is that, that Jacob that's continuing to send those to us, and maybe he's given us the end of the year to figure out, but we've got to figure out some way to keep that going. That is so edifying to me, and I see the shaking of heads. I know it's edifying to you, too. But whether it's reading the daily devotionals or whether it's having your own daily devotional as you work your way through the scriptures, we need to read the word regularly. It needs to be in our line of sight on an ongoing basis. Unlike the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have the Word of God readily available to us. We, can ha we have it on paper. We can buy a copy of it. Um, I have my electronic version right here. So we can carry it with us wherever we go. And if you don't like to read, buy an audio Bible, right? So it is so universally available to us. Okay, so having made this first point, though, let me just re reiterate a little bit that reading the Bible can be a tad bit monotonous, right? It can be a tad bit burdensome. So, I mean, compared to Netflix, Amazon Prime, you know, all of the offerings that we have there, is, is there a competition that's taking place in our minds? Well, the next three passages that I want to look at and the next three points that I want to make are directly intended to address that particular issue. So turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. The target of our reading is verse 8, but I want to begin at verse 1. So we kind of get the full picture. And to give you the historical setting, now Israel has been through the, the period of the conquest, the, the period of the judges, uh, the period of the kings. They've gone into Babylonian captivity, and now they've come back from Babylonian captivity. And we need to remember that they were in Babylonian captivity for about 70 years. Now think about what it would be like if some invading force came and, and took us from our home in Little Rock and, and maybe sent us across the ocean. And we were in a foreign country where they spoke a foreign language. But then 70 years later, those of us who would be alive would come back and try to restart our lives. Nehemiah, this is exactly the setting in which we find Nehemiah 
chapter 8 at this point. And it says in verse 1, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law to Moses, uh, the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, we really don't know exactly what the book of the law of Moses might have been. It might have been the entire Torah. It might have been um, the book of the covenant, uh, chapters 20 through 23 of the book of Exodus. It might have been, you know, the summary of the, and the application of the law to living in the land, which is the book of Deuteronomy. We really don't know what it was that was being read, but what's interesting was the people had probably never heard it before. And those who had heard it were probably so young at the time that they didn't remember it. And so that's sort of the mindset that we need to have before us as we continue the reading. Verse 2, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning to until midday. Brethren, that's about six hours that the people were outside listening to the law being read. Goes on to say, verse 8, they read from the book, the law of God. Clearly, they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Three things here I want to draw from this verse 8. They read clearly, they gave the sense, and they caused them to understand the reading. Again, living in a foreign culture, now they're hearing this word that relates much more to the culture they came from originally to the, uh, as opposed to the culture that they've just come out of. And so it's going to sound foreign to them, much like the word sounds foreign to us because we live in a different culture. And, and we, we don't have names like a lot of those names that you'll notice that I skipped over a lot of those funny names as we, were, <laughs> as we went to verse 8. Um, many of them lived in a foreign culture. The law is going to sound a bit foreign to them. So they read the scriptures in a way that the people could relate to it. And so that brings me to the point that I want to make on this passage. And that is that we need to read scriptures relatably. Now you might, I'll tell you, if you were looking at at my computer version of this presentation, that word relatability would have a red scribble underneath it. You know what that means, right? That means PowerPoint doesn't think it's a real word. But I found it on the internet, okay? So there are at least some people, and I don't know if I have it spelled correctly, I don't know if there's an E in it or not, but you get what I'm saying. They read it in a way that they could relate to it. We need to read it in a way that we can relate to it as well. We need to read the scriptures in a way that people can relate to them whenever we're we're reading the scriptures for them. But we also need to read the scriptures for ourselves in a way that we can relate to that. It may be the meaning of some archaic word. You know, most of us are using modern translations these days, but, but still, you know, there's, there may be one of those words that we don't use when we're out walking on the street. Um, it may be clarifying an ancient tradition. It might be giving the historical setting of a, of a particular passage that we're working our way into. Um, I'd like to look at an example. Now, keep, uh, well, just turn over to John chapter 8. We're, we're pretty much done with 
Nehemiah chapter, but this is not one of the four passages. So this is an example to support this particular point. John chapter 11, and Brother uh, Kelly actually referred to this passage, I think it was on Thursday night, and it was as a result of that, I thought that illustrates exactly what I want to make, the point that I want to make at this point in the lesson. John chapter 11. So looking at verses 20 and 21, this is Jesus and the resurrection of, uh, of Lazarus, and Brother Kelly made an incredibly important point about um, about what this event meant in the life of Jesus, the significance and relevance to Mary, Martha, Mary and Martha. But I want you to read with me verse 20, first of all. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So you've got two things going on here. You've got Martha, remember Martha, 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 right? She was the one that said, why can't you make my sister come in here and help me? Okay, so that's the kind of woman that she was, or she seems to be anyway. That's the kind of reputation that she has. And, uh, and then in verse 21, it says, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, knowing the interaction that, that Mary, Martha had had with Jesus prior to this. Why can't you make my sister come in here and help me? How are we going to hear these words that Martha is saying right now? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's kind of how I hear him anyway. Well, skip down a few verses. Mary has been seated in the house, does not come out immediately, but then Jesus calls for her. And it says in verse 32, Now when Mary came out to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, exact same words, exact same statement that Mary makes, but completely different in how we, in, in how we read it and how we hear it. Because she's not standing there in front of Jesus the way that Martha was. She's, she's fallen to her feet. She's filled with tears. And her, and her words are just filled with agony as she is saying these, those words. Here's another example. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I wish we could read the entire chapter. But... Suffice it to say, the chapter goes like this in terms of intensity. And finally, we get to verses 51 through 55. You can't just read this. You can't just read it as if you were reading, you know, some work of fiction today. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then will become, come to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? just can't read those as prose. 
The Word of God is an exciting book, and they t- it tells an exciting story. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is where Paul is giving instructions to the young preacher Timothy. And remember that passage impressed in our minds, let no one describe, despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. And I tell you what, that, that was my theme for about 10 years. Long past, right? Don't, I, no one's going to despise my youth anymore. Well, in the next verse, Paul writes this to Timothy. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Just a couple of phrases here selected from these verses because we need to move through this quickly. Verse 13, give attention to reading. Did you know that you can read inattentively? I can. Yep. Verse 15, meditate on these things. Oh, wait a minute. Meditation is that thing that, you know, those weird people out west, uh, out east, they do that, right? Um, Well, west too, I guess. West United States. Um, on what things was Timothy to meditate? Well, they, he was to meditate upon the things that, that Paul was writing to them. Scripture, right? What Paul is saying here is that we need to give some thought to our reading. Now look at another phrase from verse 15. Give yourself entirely to them. I think many of us can relate to what it means to give ourselves entirely to something, to a subject. Many, if not most, or all of us have worked in professions that required a, a great deal of, of education or training. Um, and and as, at some point along the way, we had to give ourselves to the subject matter. We can give ourselves to the Word of God the same way. And we need to. The Scriptures contain eternal truths. The scriptures command us to do certain things. What are those things? We need, to, we need to understand. Are we doing them? Oh, are we really doing them? So, the time that we spend reading scripture, we need to read scripture reflectively. We need to meditate upon it. We need to reflect upon it. Our, our time for scripture reading needs to be a time of, of, of devotion upon which we understand that what we are reading is God calling us to do the things that we need to do. Finally, James chapter 1. And this is, this is easy work here. We can, we can get through this really quick because this is, <clears throat> this is something that we're all going to be very comfortable with knowing what this says. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The fourth point that I want to make here is that we need to read Scripture responsibly. We need to respond to it. Reading Scripture cannot be just an academic exercise. Well, it can be, but it doesn't need to be. God's Word calls us to act. When we read in the Gospel about the, uh, uh, about the, 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 the life of Christ, and we see His character displayed there, and we, we read the things that He said and He taught, we need to be struck with the realization that if I'm Jesus' disciple then I need to be emulating the things that he did with his life. I need to be uh, saying the things that he taught. When we read the epistles of the New Testament, how husbands are supposed to treat their wives, or how children are supposed to respect their parents, or how we are supposed to work in our, in our secular workplace. And then we start applying those things. That's when the magic happens. When we take the words on the page and we say, I'm going to do that. And then we start doing it. That's when we really start reaping the benefit of of the reading scripture. It has to be put into use. I mean, I think we can all really relate to what James has to say here about looking into a mirror and then forgetting. And that's exactly what we do when we read and then we just go about our merry way. If we don't ask ourselves the question, what do I need to do about this? And um, if we don't actually make a change in our lives as a result of reading the scripture, then it's not going to stick. And we're not going to get the benefit that comes from reading it. So, we'll close by explaining what I mean by having, making Scripture an act of worship. Reading Scripture is an act of worship when, when we acknowledge that Scripture is from the mind of God. Yes, it was given to, to men and it was written down by the hand of God. Mankind, But we begin, when we begin by thanking him for revealing this word to us, scripture reading can actually be uh, an act of worship. And I would encourage you to set aside the time. This is my time for scripture reading and start it with a word of prayer, praying that God would help you to understand, but also then apply and do the things that are being taught. We honor God when we prioritize our, in our life the time that we need in order to read His Scriptures. When we take the effort to, to bring it to life in our own lives and when we make the commitment to do whatever it is that His Word is telling us to do, we, we are worshiping Him. And as a result of that, then we are, as a result of our reading and as a result of our doing, then we are transformed into the image of His Son, who was in the image of Him. And we are living in the world as as imaging God, bringing glory to Him in every life that we touch. Let's take the last minute or two to offer a word of prayer to God. 
Oh, holy God, our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have been able to spend together. We're thankful so much for your word that shines as a bright light in this dark world. We know that we face challenges each and every day. And let us not face those challenges without the light that your word shines in us. We pray that if we don't have the habit of regularly going to your word, that we might develop that. And that we might see in your word a living, active word that is so relevant to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And may our reading and studying not just be an academic exercise, but may we literally put it into use in our everyday lives. We thank you for bringing us your word today, and we pray that you would be with us as we continue through our worship this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll be dismissed.